Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, helping you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. It's all right here for you with this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveryou.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You show here in Portland, Maine. We have done over, gosh, 500 shows now. But this is a cool moment. We have John Barber on the line with us. And he's the godfather of reality TV, and this is a huge moment. And, John, I'm just going to get right to it and say thank you for being with us, and welcome to Best Ever You. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. I just absolutely love the name of the show, The Best Ever You. What a great title. So thanks very much. And And also the business of being the godfather of reality television. I mean, when I created Real People, in 1979, it became the most successful show ever in American history and the first reality show. I was dubbed the godfather of reality for creating it by the best uh, television critic in America. His name was Gary Deeb, and he used to work for the Chicago Tribune, and I had been in Chicago about six months earlier hosting a show, a morning show there, um, and I was followed on that morning show by Charlie Rose. Then Charlie Rose was fired, and he was followed by Oprah Winfrey, who came from <laughs> Cincinnati. So that's how Oprah started. But in any event, I had told him I wanted to do a show about real people, and I eventually got it on the air, and he dubbed me the godfather of reality television. So for real people, I would certainly take a lot of bows. But as for reality television today, I would absolutely not. I mean, when I started in television, Elizabeth, uh, you had to have certainly a modicum of talent. You had to be, uh, you had to have a modicum of intelligence. You had to be rather charming or you had to be bright or you had to be verbal. And that was necessary in those days. And when I got into television, In the 60s and 70s, there were dozens and dozens of people like that on television. There are no more. If you are bright today, if you are intelligent today, if you are charming today, that would be a hindrance to getting on television in America. I mean, you have people on reality. The only quality necessary to be on reality television today is to have an absence of shame. Mm, that must upset you. I beg your pardon? I said that must upset you to see that well, uh, more than that. There is no one on television I admire. There's no show I watch. I almost watch no television at all. I spent you know, my time researching on the Internet and you know, going to libraries and reading books. And that's, that's about the extent, extent of it. And uh, the reason that television is so bad, you know, when I started in television, Elizabeth, when John Kennedy was murdered in 1963, a station 
or a company or an individual could only own five stations, five newspapers, or five radio stations. When John Kennedy was killed, there were 1,500 different owners of television stations in America. But the worst president in American history, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton signed NAFTA, which sent our jobs overseas. He repealed Glass-Steagall, which was instituted by FDR in the New Deal to prevent banks from gambling with our money. And that created the 2008 recession where I lost a million-dollar home and millions of other people lost their homes without anybody ever going to prison. And then worst of all, Bill Clinton signed the Communications Act in 1996, which turned 95% of all our media over to six major monopolistic corporations. America will never be informed properly again or be entertained properly again. Well put. <laughs> um, I don't know how to look, I don't know how to follow with that. That's that's pretty much well put. The um, I have a I do have a question in that from just from my point of view, and I'm I'm fifty, about almost fifty. I'm a mom of four boys, and you're kidding. You're fifty and have four boys. I am. They're a little bit older now, but yeah, we've got four kids, and they're all they're all young men, and um, you sound twenty five. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much. <laughs> It'd be nice to be 25 again. But I always I felt like, like to be on, on TV because I dreamed of being on TV as a kid, and I did my stints here and there, news reporting and things like that. I felt like you either had to be really super over-political or you had to be goofy, like do something stupid, and I wanted to pride myself in being intelligent. Well, that was your first mistake to keep you off of television. Goofy yeah. is what... Uh, all of television is today. It is absolutely and totally meaningless. And, you know, uh, Donald Trump uh, was the first candidate, the first presidential candidate, to start talking about fake news. And uh, I interviewed uh, Jim Garrison in 1981. Did you see the movie JFK? I did. Yeah. Uh, okay, well... Kevin Costner played a fellow named Jim Garrison. Jim Garrison was the district attorney of New Orleans. He was the only man who investigated the murder of John Kennedy, and he actually had solved the case. But the government jumped all over him, and the media jumped all over him, and they wouldn't let him get him into a court of law. After two years, when he finally got into the court, he lost a conspiracy case against Clay Shaw, but that's not the case he was after. He was after the perjury case, and he won that case, and it was a slam-dunk conviction, but the government stepped in and stopped it. So anyway, when uh, Donald Trump was running for the presidency about a year and a half ago and started talking about fake news, I thought, my goodness, that sounds a lot like what Jim Garrison was talking about back in 1981 when I interviewed him. So I went back into my archives, and I got the three hours of videotape that I had of me interviewing Jim Garrison. And then I was forced by what I learned from re-listening to this to put out a second documentary about the uh, murder of John Kennedy and the birth and purpose of fake news, which still infests us today. And the movie is called 
the American media and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's a runaway hit on Amazon. Now, you can see the first Garrison tapes, which was a a big award winner in 1993 following Oliver's movie, JFK. If you go to my site, Elizabeth, johnbarbersworld.com, and my last name is spelled B-A-R-B-O-U-R-S, johnbarbersworld.com, you can see the first Garrison tapes for nothing. And then you can get a link to Amazon where you can get the second one for $2. The definitive film on the murder of John Kennedy and the birth and purpose of fake news. And also, you can find a link to my book. Now, my book is mostly about me and my life. It started off like David Copperfield, Charles Dickens, this kid that came from a severely broken home in Toronto long before it was popular, got into a lot of trouble with the law when he was a teenager, convicted of two felonies at 16, came to the United States when I was 17 illegally to be a professional gambler and was deported from the country twice. Now, the book is called Your Mother's Not a Virgin, The Bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout Who Changed the Face of American Television. Elizabeth, most of the book, or 95% of the book, is all about my life and my life in television with all these major political figures, all these major entertainment figures with unbelievable stories, just fabulous stories, and only 5% of it is about Jim Garrison and the murder of John Kennedy. But the reason I bring this up is that Donald Trump keeps talking about fake news. Do you remember when AT&T, when the Supreme Court ruled that the AT&T was a monopoly and had to be broken up? Yep. Okay, the same thing happened to the moving, moving picture industry. The studios owned all the uh, theaters where they uh, showed the films they produced. That was called the monopoly. It had to be broken up. AT&T was broken up, and now we have a dozen really great telephone companies, and there are a lot of movie companies, a lot of theaters out there still. If Donald Trump wants to make America great again, all he has to do is take his pen and sign an executive order Reversing Bill Clinton's Communications Act. Do not allow anybody in this country to own more than seven television stations, newspapers, or radio stations. If not, America is done. At the top of, uh, because Thomas Jefferson said at the top of the documentary, you cannot have a functioning democracy unless you have an informed citizenry. We are not informed. Oh, and by the way, if you're curious about how I got the title, I got to be the host of the first morning show on ABC in Los Angeles. And the reason we got to do that show is because Chicanos or any minority group in America could challenge a local television station for non-representation. You cannot do that anymore because of Bill Clinton. In any event, there were 20,000 Chicanos marching against ABC. So ABC decided to put on a morning news show, and I fortunately got to do that show. 
and I got to I put Muhammad Ali on the air for 90 minutes when everybody wanted him in prison because he wouldn't go to Vietnam and kill yellow people because he said white people were his problem. Put Jane Fonda on when she was called Hanoi Jane and fighting against the war. Put Cesar Chavez called to be on the show when he was going to trial. I mean, it was an absolutely fantastic show. Well, I got the show in 1970, and Jim Garrison had lost his case in 1969, so it was a year later. Well, like most Americans, I believe my government. I mean, why would they ever lie to me about the murder of John Kennedy? I paid a little attention to it because I was primarily a comic. I was Robert Goulet's opening act in Vegas. I was uh, Bobby Darren's opening act in Las Vegas. And for some reason or other, I got this show. I was in a bookstore one day, and I saw a book called Heritage at Stone, written by Jim Garrison. I thought, is this the same guy? I read the book standing in the bookstore and was so excited about what I learned, the fact that he had to sue Time Life to get the Zapruder film to show a jury, and that a doctor named Fink, who was supposed to be part of the autopsy, said they never performed the autopsy. They wouldn't even allow them to look at x-rays and photographs. And if you look at the Warren report, you will find no x-rays or photographs. All you will find is a cartoon drawing, two drawings of a bullet going through the back of John Kennedy's head. It's as, it's as though Mad Magazine had put together uh, the Warren report. So I called him, and I told him that I had read his book, and he laughed, and he said, oh, you must be the other one. I only sold two <laughs> copies. Now, you have to love somebody like that, Elizabeth. So yeah. we chatted, and I finally talked him into being on the show, and he told me, you will never get away with it. He said, they will not put me on television. They keep me off television. He said, I only got on NBC late night because I had to file a lawsuit with the FCC when they deliberately slandered me, and I proved it. But I finally talked him into doing it. He said to me, he said, you know, John, that it's 1970. It's seven years after the murder of John Kennedy, and you know that 81% of all Americans do not believe the Warren report or believe that Oswald acted alone. And I said, well, Mr. Garrison, if it's so popular, why don't we hear more about it? He said, well, you haven't heard the second question in the poll. The second question in the poll was, would you like to see a deeper reinvestigation into John Kennedy's murder where the CIA and the FBI are investigated? And only 21% of Americans said they would. And he said to me, what does that say about us? And Elizabeth, without missing a beat, I said, Mr. Garrison, it says to me, I know what my mother and father did on the pool table or in the back alley or in the bedroom to concede me. But don't ever tell me my mother's not a virgin. That is a hard truth to face. And then he said to me, John, you sound like Mark Twain, my favorite writer, because he once said, it's easier to fool people than to convince people that they have been fooled. Hmm. That's a good, that's a good quote. That's a favorite quote of mine. Um, I, I want to ask you about controversy, if you don't mind, because it doesn't seem doesn't seem to me in hearing you brilliant. You can tell 
and you're not afraid of controversy where like a lot of us on the on the air like I'm one of those people who won't cause controversy just so people listen or anything like that I I tend to not want to divide my audience do you think that's wise do you are you why aren't you afraid of controversy or conspiracy theories well, well, or anything like that well I guess first of all probably because of my background I was on the streets when I was like 6 years of age and I was constantly in trouble. And the reason I became interested in television, you might not be old enough to remember Jack Parr. Jack, oh, Parr, was by, Jack Parr was by far the greatest late-night talk show host ever. He was on for five years. He introduced major stars to television. He introduced intellectuals to television. And the reason I was enamored of him is because he had conversations. Elizabeth, I didn't know that people talked to one another. I thought they either yelled at one another or they fought with one another. And I decided that I was I wanted to get into television because you could earn a living talking to people. And I had spent most of my time, when not on a hockey rink, in libraries. So it was the reading of stories that kept me alive and the stories that I saw in movies that kept me alive. I wanted to come to America because Frank uh, Frank Capra and G- Gary Cooper and Mr. Smith goes to Washington. This is where mm-hmm. I wanted to be. And Jack Parr did a stand-up monologue at the top of the show. And it never occurred to me that I couldn't do it, so I decided to do it. And within months, I was extremely successful as a stand-up <laughs> comedian. But to me, I never think of it as controversy If it is a true story, I am primarily a storyteller. That's what I do. And the the wonderful thing about, I shouldn't say this about my own book, but the wonderful thing about the book, I mean, if you want to learn about me and this amazing Canadian rags to American riches story, I mean, how does this guy arrested numerous times, deported twice, end up in his 40s, creating the largest, most successful television show in American history. And I became the private writer to America's greatest entertainer, Frank Sinatra, for four and a half years. It's an unbelievable story. It's like, and you know, it all seemed to happen by accident. All these great things seemed to happen to me by accident. And all of my disasters were well planned. But the nice thing about the book, if you want to read about my story, you start on page one. But let's say you want to read about something you never knew about, Bob Hope or Johnny Carson or Cesar Chavez or Muhammad Ali or Lenny Bruce, a real close friend of mine, or George Burns. Stories are oh, Lisa my favorite. Oh, I love George Stories Burns. you would never, ever hear about any place else except in this book. So let's say you're going to bed at night and you want – there's a there's a wonderful chapter in the book. It's only like five pages long, and it's called The Late Night Dinner with uh, George Burns. It <laughs> is one of the greatest reads you will ever have. Now, let's say you want to go to bed and read something light and funny and very informative. You read those five pages, and you can do that with all kinds of stories in the book. I mean, a, a, the book has five-star reviews all over Amazon. But half of the people who read the book don't read it from beginning to end like I did. 
they read it, they spot read it until they eventually read the whole thing. If there was if there was uh, one one or two things that you could teach people like ages like let's take my own kids for example like ages seventeen, nineteen, twenty two, and twenty four about all of this. Who is who are a couple people that you aside from you of course because I'm going to give them your book but who would you like them to know about so their story doesn't end? Well. That's a really, really good question. Uh, There are a couple of people on the Internet, a fellow named Chris Hedges, who is on Russian TV. He wrote uh, The Death of the Liberal Class, a really terrific book. And then there are a couple of really smart lawyers. I've had uh, one of these lawyers on my show. He works with with, uh, Native Indians in Oklahoma, and he is totally, totally brilliant. Uh, I forget his name offhand, but there, there are a couple of them. And you know, the the most articulate person on te- there's only one articulate person on television now. I mean, and you never guess where he is. He's on Turner Classic Movies, and he hosts a show called Film Noir. Have you ever seen it? I have, but the name of the person is escaping me, and I completely agree with you. I say the same thing. Oh, I I had him on my show also. Oh, oh my God. I can't remember his name. Isn't that shameful? I'll, I'll Google event, it while you're he talking. Is, he is so good on film noir, even though I've seen those pictures probably half a dozen times from the time I was six years of age. He is so interesting he is the only person on, do you know on TCM when you're looking for a movie, they show you the director and the cast. They never, ever show you the writer. The only two writers they ever show you on TCM are Shakespeare and uh, the uh, uh, the fellow who wrote uh, Network, yes. Patty Shayevsky. They're the only two writers they show. This guy mentions the writer every single time. And then he gives you background information that's so literate and so interesting is that you stick around after the movie to watch it. Oh, God, I'm so sorry that I can't remember his name. I want to say Eddie, but I don't know if I have it right. Well, if you, go to, if you just Google Film Noir, it'll show you his name. I don't have, I'm not in front of my computer or I'd do it for you. I think it's Eddie Muller. I say that again. Oh, Eddie Muller. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> we got That's it. it Angel. You got it. Uh, well, good for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Eddie Muller. He's he's the only articulate human left on American television, I assure you. <laughs> and as I said earlier, when I was younger in the uh, in the sixties and seventies in early 50s, getting into and thinking about television, I could name you three dozen brilliant, brilliant people that I miss to this day. I miss Gore Vidal. You know, every once in a while, I miss him so much, I will Google something that Gore Vidal talked about 10 years ago, just so I can listen to somebody bright. And also, 
the greatest American comedian who ever lived. And I don't even know if you've ever heard of him. His name was Bill Hicks. No, I don't know who that is. Oh, my gosh. I must tell you. First, I will warn you, since you're 50 and you got four boys, he can be filthy. But I must tell you, he can also be funny. He was the only comedian smart enough and intelligent enough to be able to write jokes about the murder of John Kennedy, and he is in my movie. He died at the age of 32 of pancreatic cancer. But if you Google Bill Hicks, you'll be absolutely better than George Carlin, better than Lenny Bruce, and I I love them both. As a matter of fact, I beat George Carlin out of two jobs in the early days in television. (laughs) You're brilliant people. I grew up, for some reason, and I still am, fascinated by George Burns. Any insight as to perhaps why? <laughs> oh, okay, what I'm going to say, uh, we only have a couple of minutes left, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to tell you this little story about George Burns. It's the five pages in the book. It's called The Late Night Dinner with George Burns. Uh, have you ever? Do you remember Ernie Kovacs? Sort of, but not like... Well, Ernie well. Kovacs was America's and television's uh, Charlie Chaplin, the brightest comic to ever be in American television. Ernie Kovacs was his name. His wife was a singer named Dee Dee Adams, and he died in, in an automobile accident when he was just in his uh, late 30s, early early 40s. I did a documentary about him called Ernie Kovacs, Television's Original Genius. You can see it for nothing on my site. It's the second best documentary ever made about anybody in show business. The best documentary is a movie called Searching for Sugar Man. Have you ever seen it? That one I know. That's the greatest show business story ever. I mean, it's just the second best, though, is mine. In any event, after (laughs) the success of my documentary about Ernie Kovacs, some producer... Wanted to get old-time singers together like Edie Adams and Frankie Lane and Von Monroe and a few people like that and go to the Pantages Theater in Hollywood and do an evening of old singers. And it was a smash. And Edie Adams' date was George Burns. After the show, at 10.30, we went to a place called the Scandia Restaurant on Sunset Boulevard. We got there at about quarter to 11 The place closed at midnight. Everybody emptied out of the restaurant except George Burns and Edie Adams, a publicist, my 12-year-old son, myself, and my wife, because George was sitting in the middle of of the room at a table telling stories. The owner stayed and one of the waiters stayed. Everybody else had left, and George spent those five hours telling stories. The last story he told was about Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball, you may remember, was on a radio show called I Love Lucy. Do you remember it? Uh, She is one of my idols. Well, Lucille Ball on the radio show, do you remember who her husband was on the radio show? It was an actor named Richard Denning a really nice-looking Irish-American, blonde hair and blue eyes, really handsome guy. 
Anyway, CBS calls Lucy because of the success of her radio show and said, we would like you to do a pilot because television is a big thing now, and we think that you, you would have a successful television show. So we want you and Richard to do a pilot. And she mm-hmm. said, no. And they said, why not? We'll pay you a lot of money. She said, I'm not doing it with Richard Denning. I do the radio show with Richard. But everybody knows I'm married to Desi Arnaz. And if I'm going to go on television, I'm going to go on television with my real husband. And they said, no, you're not. America's not ready for a Cuban or a Latin or anybody to be co-star of a show. So we're not going to pay for it. And she said, well, I'm not going to do it. But they kept hounding her and hounding her for months. And finally, she said, look, and I'll tell you what I'll do. You let me make one pilot with my real husband, Desi Arnaz, and if it does not work out, I will do another pilot with Richard. And they agreed to it, and they shot the pilot. Now, here you have this really smart Cuban band leader setting up a three-camera comedy show, first time it was ever done setting up a live audience for this three-camera show. First time it was ever done, and they shot the show. The pilot went to CBS. The president of Old Gold Cigarettes happened to be in the screening room when CBS screened the pilot. Halfway through the pilot, he told CBS, I'll buy 20 of them right now. So CBS calls Lucy. And says, we've got an order for 20, so let's get going. And she said, I'm not going anywhere. And they said, what do you mean you're not going anywhere? We just sold 20 shows to old gold cigarettes. She said, I don't care who you sold them to, but you didn't sell them my show because you don't have my show. And they said, well, we paid for the pilot. And she said, but you forgot to sign Desi to a contract. (sighs) And they said, I beg your pardon? Well, we'll pay him whatever you want. She said, no, you won't pay him anything. The show is mine or I don't do it. And they had no choice but to give her her own show. And she ended up with that show building a huge empire at Desilu Studios. Wow. That's how that happened, huh? (laughs) That's how that happened. And I could tell you another I could tell you a half a dozen other stories about major shows on television that that are on there only by accident. But our time is up. I'm so glad that I was on your show. Thank you so much for having me. You're an absolute delight. Oh, thank you. And and I've learned so much from you and our audience has, and I I appreciate you being here and and sharing about your book. I want to, before we go, tell everybody just where to get your book. It's called Your Mother's Not a Virgin, The Bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout Who Changed the Face of American TV by John Barber. And um, people can get that on Amazon. I saw all the, the, the great reviews and so forth. You're also on Twitter at Barber. Well, I, I, I'm not very good at all that kind of stuff. But the easiest thing for them to do, Elizabeth, is to go to my site, www.johnbarbersworld.com. That's B-A-R-B-O-U-R-S. You can find uh, the Ernie Kovacs film. You can find the first Garrison film, and you can find a link, the Amazon link to the book. 
you can find the Amazon link to the film. And then also, when I was Sinatra's private writer and he took over the Tonight Show one night, he had me on to do a stand-up. You can watch the stand-up. And when I started as a comic, my mentor was Red Fox, believe it or not. And I was the first person to put Red Fox on entertainment television, which led to his show, Sanford and Son. And Sanford happens to be his real name. More, More stories. stories. <laughs> we could go on and on. <laughs> well, well, we could go on forever. Long. Anyway, on show. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope we get to do this again. I hope so, too. I, I appreciate you. you so much. And, and thank, thank you, you again. And thank you, everybody, so much for listening. What an honor to have John Barber with us for a half an hour or so and, and learn about him and, and all of his great stories. And I hope you'll go to his website at johnbarbersworld.com. And, um, and his book is amazing. It is a book that you can you can pass along to your you know your young children not not young children but young teenagers and college age people and um and pass the book around it's it's a real good one grab a copy again it's called your mother's not a virgin the bumpy life and times of canadian dropout who changed the face of american tv so everybody that's john barber i thank you all so much for listening to the best ever you show and um i hope you all have a great day and visit us online at besteveryou.com we'll follow up with a blog we'll follow up with uh links to the show and all sorts of good stuff. We've got pictures and, and copies of the book and all sorts of stuff. So everybody have a great day. John, thanks again for being with us. And I hope you have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.